Welcome to another episode of Politics Theory Other. My name is Alex Doherty and my guest today is Durendra K. Jha. We talked about his book, Gandhi's Assassin, The Making of Nataram Godse and His Idea of India. In recent days, the offices of the BBC in India have been raided by officials of the Indian Tax Department. Ostensibly carried out regarding the media corporation's tax affairs, the raids are widely believed to be in retaliation over the BBC's two-part documentary series, India, the Modi question, which focused on the role that Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi played in the massive anti-Muslim violence that occurred in Gujarat in 2002 when Modi was chief minister of the state. The BBC documentary revealed that a British government document from the time had found Modi directly responsible for not stopping the killings of Muslims and said the violence had, quote, all the hallmarks of genocide. Modi is of course today Prime Minister of India and the leader of the Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, and a long-standing member of the RSS, the Rastriya Swayam Sivak Sangh, the far-right paramilitary force that is intimately entwined with the BJP and other Hindutva organisations. Today's episode, though, focuses on a much earlier instance of Hindu nationalist violence, that of the murder of Mahatma Gandhi by the RSS activist Nataram Godse on the 30th of January 1948 in the compound of the Birla House in central Delhi the year after India achieved independence. We talked about Godse's childhood and how his belonging to the elite Brahmin caste facilitated his shift from an anti-imperialist position in the decades before independence to a visceral hatred of Muslims and of Gandhi, who the Hindu nationalists blamed for partition and the creation of Pakistan, and who was also loathed due to his opposition to the dominance of the elite Brahmin caste, of which Godse was a member, and his comparatively more progressive views on the role of women in the independence struggle. We also discussed Godse's relationship with Vinayak Sawaka, the ideological founder of Hindu nationalism, and the chief early propagator of the idea of Hindu Rastra, the concept of India as a fundamentally Hindu nation, as opposed to a secular state of all of its people. We went on to talk about how Italian fascism and German Nazism inspired the RSS, and finally, we discussed the increasing rehabilitation of the reputation of Godse amongst Hindu nationalists, including BJP members of the Indian Parliament. Today's episode is brought to you by PTO supporters on Patreon, and also by Verso Books, who have lots of great left-wing titles perfect for PTO listeners. One you might like to check out is Post-Growth Living for an Alternative Hedonism by Kate Soper. The reality of runaway climate change is inextricably linked with the mass consumerist capitalist society in which we live. The cult of endless growth is damaging us and our way of being. How do we stop the impending catastrophe? And how can we create a movement capable of confronting it head on? In Post-Growth Living, for an alternative hedonism, Kate Soper proposes delinking prosperity from endless growth. Andreas Malm describes the book as calmly dismantling the illusion that consumption is pleasure. This urgent and necessary intervention into debates on climate change is out now in paperback from Verso Books. And now to today's interview. Durendra K. Jar is an Indian journalist. He's the author of a number of books on India's politics, including Shadow Armies, 
fringe organisations and foot soldiers of Hindutva. He was speaking with me from Delhi. So your book begins by describing the childhood and social background of Nataram Godse, the Hindu nationalist militant who assassinated Gandhi in January 1948, the year after India achieved independence from British rule, an act for which Godse was subsequently executed in 1949. If we could maybe start by talking a little bit about Godse's childhood, could you say something on his family life and the Brahmin caste that he was born into and the nature of the caste system more broadly, uh, which some listeners may not be so familiar with? Well, this is an important question. And uh, it is in this reality that Godse starts growing as, as an assassin. Godse was born in a Brahmin family, Maharashtrian Brahmin family. You know, Brahmins are supposed to be the most privileged among castes. Castes are essentially the crucial building blocks of Hinduism. Brahmins, traditionally, they have been enjoying all kinds of privileges. And because of their position, they have been considering themselves as upholders of Hinduism. Mm, a, a kind of priestly class. Yeah. So, Godse was raised as a girl child because in his family, sons were dying. Only a girl child had survived. So, there was this belief that sons were dying because of some kind of curse to the family. And so, Godse was raised as a girl child in the beginning, and the idea was to trick fate. This part of his life becomes very important because we see that in the later part of his life, there is a constant craving for masculine image. And Godse is always looking for a potent life, trying to prove himself. At the same time, he, he never seems to be very confident. He is deeply insecure. This kind of psychological complexity he inherits because of his childhood experiences. And later, it is this mindset that leads him to the Hindu nationalist organization, RSS. And from there, the next story begins. The RSS, of course, was a paramilitary organization, very much characterized by this obsession with masculinity and honing the body and being tough and also having a real distaste for women who were very much seen as inferior. And Godse had very few women in his life. So this Hindu nationalism is based on hyper-masculine nationalism, you can say, in which subjugation of women becomes very important. For example, Savarkar, who is supposed to be the ideological father figure of Hindu nationalist movement, he saw women as vessels to bear sons. To him, women should be restricted to kitchen and uh, children. That should be their world. Uh, he also talks about different kind of education for women. Godse is very close to Savarkar in the beginning. Then for some time, he goes away. Later, when he joins RSS, once again, he comes close to Godse, but this time as a member of RSS. If you look at the life history of Godse, you will find that he's very awkward around women. He didn't marry. He never had any affair with anybody. In this entire system, 
women is considered impure. So it is in this milieu that Godse grows. Going back to uh, Godse's belonging within the Brahmin class, could you say something about why the Brahmin became such a core part of the Hindu nationalist movement in the early 20th century? And what position they occupied in Indian society during British rule and also in, in the Peshwa era, the period preceding Britain's conquest of the subcontinent? Yeah, so Hindutva movement emerges in the wake of All India movement against British. That was non-cooperation movement. This movement was based on Hindu-Muslim unity. In the aftermath of this movement, we see an effort by British government to create a division between two communities. Savarkar is shifted from Andaman Nicobar Island, from the cellular jail in Andaman Nicobar Island to mainland. Then he writes a book called Hindutva, who is a Hindu, which is fountainhead of uh, uh, Hindutva movement in 1923. And in 1924, he is released. Right. And then after, thereafter, he starts the entire process of taking away Hindus from nationalist movement and creating a kind of imaginary enemy, directing them towards Muslims. Same time, that area is also an area of anti-Brahmin movement. So this anti-Brahmin movement was gaining a strength in Maharashtra and some areas of South India. So there was a kind of insecurity among Brahmins they wanted to create a situation in which the anger, the wrath of uh, lower castes would be directed towards some other target. So Muslims became that target. Right. So this Hindutva movement emerges both because of British government's conspiracy to divide this nationalist movement and insecurity among Brahmins. Together, they created a condition in which Brahmins, by saying that they they were representing Hindus, they started talking about reviving Peshwa rule. Peshwas were Brahmin rulers of Maharashtra. And this revival of Peshwa rule at the time when British would leave the country would essentially mean revival of Brahmin rule over India. So Hindutva, the kind of ideology visualizes, is essentially a Brahmanical state as well as seeing their project as the restoration of Brahmin rule, they, of course, were very aware that the Peshwa were considered to have ended the rule of the Muslim Mughal Empire, right? Um, what role did the Mughal Empire play in their thinking? Well, so, uh, once a new enemy was imagined, the entire effort was to give a historical context to it. Hindutva, who is a Hindu, the book by Savarkar says that the feeling of nationalism came after Muslims invaded India. Feeling of nationalism came among Hindus after Muslims invaded India. Marathas, who were later succeeded by Peshwas, they were fighting against Mughal rule. Of course, Mughal empire was there in India and they were fighting against them. But then it was a fight for princely state. It was never supposed to be a nation, so to say. So this entire history was imagined and added to the project of Hindu Rashtra. Yes, Hindu Rashtra being the, the notion of, of a Hindu 
nation, as, as opposed to the position of, of, of Congress and Gandhi, which is this more inclusive uh, notion of nationhood in which uh, various faiths would be represented. So you've already mentioned Vinayak Saraka, the key ideologue of, of Hindutva, and the president of the Hindu Mahasabha party, which Godse later joins. And you've mentioned already that Sawaka was incarcerated in the notorious cellular jail in the Andaman Islands because he was once an opponent of the British and because of his nationalist connections. But you describe how during his time in the jail, he partially recanted his opposition to the British and became instead an anti-Muslim fanatic and in the process became something of a favourite of his jailers. And you write that, by the time Godse met him, Sawaka had long surrendered his nationalist fervour to focus completely on mobilising Hindus against Muslims, though without giving up his patriotic allure. And you say that it is hard to find another freedom fighter who made as strong an effort to cover his tracks, glorify his own personality, and reap dividends even on sacrifices he had never made. Could you talk a little bit about Sawaka's political journey that shift away from opposition to the British and how he became this very singular figure in Hindu nationalist thought. Yeah, so Savarkar begins as, as a nationalist. When he was in uh, UK, he is part of the nationalist group there. But once he is arrested and given life sentence and sent to cellular jail, after that, immediately after that, he starts writing mercy petitions to the British pleasing to remain loyal throughout his life if he was released. Now, this process continues. And throughout second decade, when he was in cellular jail, he writes six or seven mercy petitions. Later, in the beginning of 1920s, we see that there is a definite shift in his understanding, a shift away from his anti-British position to anti-Muslim position. And so before coming out of jail, when he writes this book, he is now completely anti-Muslim. This is exactly what British government wanted. So after that, once he was released from jail, he was confined uh, in Ratnagari district. He was asked not to leave the district without permission of district magistrate and not to take part in political activities. These restrictions were removed in 1937. But after that, he joins Hindu Mahasabha. But even after that, he never goes close to any movement against the British. He is occupying himself totally with mobilizing Hindus against Muslims. And what do you think caused that change in Sawaka? Do you think it was, I mean, we, sh we should say, of, of course, that it's very likely that Sawaka was tortured whilst in the cellular jail. Do you think he made this move because it was in his material interest and, and was likely to keep him relatively safe and to, and to eventually occupy a more privileged position amongst the prisoners within the jail? Or do you think that anti-Muslim animus always lurked in Sawaka's thought? Anti-Muslim feeling came later. And, you know, this is a mystery. This is yet to be explained properly as to how he converted himself completely from anti-British to anti-Muslims. He himself, he hints that he was tortured in jail by Muslim warders. But if you read the memoirs of other prisoners in the jail, you will find that they are not at all talking about 
any such activity by Muslim warders, and they were not just Muslim warders, they were Hindu warders as well. Still, Savarkar is emphasizing only on that. And, and other memoirs also suggest that he was, Savarkar was actually trying to remain in the good books of the jailer, jail superintendent. So when there was a, a movement against atrocities, he preferred to stay away from this. That means this entire story that Muslim warders were torturing him is something that is difficult to believe. But if you look at the timing of his release and if you look at the activities that he does after coming out of jail, you will realize that he is actually playing in the hands of British rulers. He is doing exactly what British rulers wanted him to do. And the possibility of this is much more than the narrative that he is giving that Savarkar won his freedom by promising to remain in the good books of British government. And that was perhaps the reason why he did what he did, what British government wanted. And I suppose just because of the fact of having been incarcerated in this very notorious jail where, where so many other Indian nationalists had been incarcerated, that that allowed him to, after his release, to continue to pose as something of an Indian nationalist, despite, as you say, keeping very distant from the actual independent struggle. Precisely. So, repeatedly, he talks about his days in jail, but never he takes part in any movement against British. Now, this contradiction is something which his followers were not ready to see. For example, Godse is quite impressed by Savarkar's jail life. And he looks at him as, as a hero uh, who fought against British in the beginning. That is how he comes close to Savarkar. But the fact that Savarkar's politics had completely changed is something that could not really strike him. This change was something he could not gauze properly. You've already mentioned the RSS and the Hindu Mahasabha Party, organizations which Godse belonged to and are key parts of the Hindutva movement. The RSS, of course, continues down to today and has millions of members in, in India and is a core part of the network uh, of, of organizations that includes the BJP, the Bharatiya Janata Party, the ruling party of India led by Narendra Modi. What was the RSS exactly? How did it emerge? Who was its political constituency? And what was the nature of the ideology that it espoused? RSS was formed in 1925. This organization emerged from within Brahmin community of Nagpur. Its swamsevaks, the members, ordinary cadres of this organization, were mostly from Brahmin caste, especially those who had this feeling of having been privileged in the past, but who were not being able to compete in modern life. So they got together and the RSS was formed. RSS talked of reviving Peshwa rule, again, meaning Brahmin rule, which impressed Brahmin students, Brahmin youth, and they worshipped Savarkar. Savarkar was their hero, their ideologue. RSS in the beginning was not being able to grow. It started growing only when Munje, 
बी एस मुंजे बिकम्स प्रेसिडेंट ऑफ हिंदू महासभा आर एस एस वॉज फॉर्म बाय ए ग्रुप ऑफ हिंदू महासभा लीडर्स ऑल द फाइव मैन हु सेट टूगेदर टू फॉर्म आर एस एस बिलोंग टू हिंदू महासभा इंक्लूडिंग हेडगेबार द फर्स्ट चीफ ऑफ आर एस एस एंड मुंजे हु वॉज हिज पेट्रन सो ऑन द वन हैंड दीज पीपल वेर ड्रॉइंग इंस्परेशन फ्रॉम सावरकर एंड सावरकर बुक हिंदुत्व on the other hand they were getting fascinated by what was happening in germany and italy this fascination for nazis is so clear if you go through the marathi newspapers of late 1920s 30s and early 40s especially those papers which were owned and run by brahmins maharashtrian brahmins so in 1931 monje goes to italy meets mussolini visits his various youth organizations comes back restructures rss so th- these two ideologies come together and when golwalkar succeeds hedgewar 1939 he writes a book called we or our nation would defined in which he draws inspiration from nazi's treatment of jews and describes it as a model for the treatment of muslims in india so these two ideologies together then start influencing rss and rss grows further thereafter it remains very close to hindu mahasabha although the two organizations were different but there were a lot of overlap dual membership you know both were working together both were stimulating each other this entire process continues till gandhi assassination but once assassination happens and rss was banned thereafter once the ban is lifted in 1949 rss starts growing independent of hindu mahasabha and starts dying thereafter on that fascination with italian fascism and and german nazism is that to do with the fact that just as european fascism can be seen as a kind of conservative revolution which plays on the anxieties and fears of the middle class the petty bourgeoisie people who expected to occupy a privileged position in their society but were afraid of the working class and particularly the organized working class and of, of the communist movement and the socialist movement more broadly that there's a kind of parallel there with india even if with hindu nationalism there isn't the kind of biological racism but nonetheless there's a class of people that you know the brahmin and and hindus more generally who can be motivated to support this project on the basis of of those anxieties that you talk about and also that there's this kind of internal enemy so in the case of of europe of course there's the jewish diaspora and in india there's the muslims is that how you see the links between the two ideologies yes during 30s Maharashtra was the nerve center of working class movement in India. The the elite caste, which were not being able to compete, yet they believed that they were privileged and they wanted to restore their privileged position in the society. They were also getting support from landed gentry. They were getting support from princely estates, big and small businesses were helping them. there was a definite material milieu to it they were also to some extent impressed by two particular things about european dictatorships one militarization of society which these people wanted all the time number two presence of strong leader the dictator who could change the entire thing so 
all these things came together. So yes, as you described, all these factors were playing here also. The only new thing was caste. RSS was essentially a Brahmin club and contemporary records show how non-Brahmins used to hate them. Yes, and, and so the broadening out of the Hindu nationalist movement obviously takes a very, a very long time. How was it that non-Brahmins eventually came to become supporters of a movement which, as you say, had been so closely identified with the particular privileges of the Brahmin class? Yes, yeah, so for long, this RSS remained essentially an organization of Brahmins supported by Vashya, that is, business and trading community. But these two castes numerically were not strong enough to provide any significant political space to RSS or its political outfit. Earlier it was Jansang, later it became Bharatiya Janata Party, BJP, which is ruling today. Uh, so this transformation starts during late 1980s when the temple movement, the movement to demolish Babri Masjid, Babri Mosque in Ayodhya and build a temple of Rama. This movement, although it was started around uh, mid-1980s, but it started gaining momentum towards the end of 80s. And in 1992, the mosque was demolished. With this development, they managed to capture the imagination of non-upper caste Hindus as well, a significant section of non-upper caste Hindus. After demolition, they had become a force to reckon with. They, their number in parliament started growing and first they formed a coalition government towards the end of 90s. And in 2014, they got absolute majority in parliament. So going back to Godse, you write that for some time, Godse as a young adult moved freely through two worlds, oscillating between a radical anti-British sentiment advocated by Gandhi and a conciliatory attitude to the colonial regime preached by Sawaka in the name of preparing Hindus to fight the so-called internal enemies, the Muslims. And eventually, uh, of course, the, the latter perspective prevailed. Now, Gandhi, of course, was a Hindu and in many ways represented himself as an orthodox Hindu. So what was it in particular about Gandhi's politics that eventually made him such an object of hatred for Godse and other Hindu nationalists in spite of Godse's prior support for Gandhi in opposition to British rule in India? Yeah, so Godse fails in matriculation examination in 1929. He shifts to Ratnagiri, where his father is posted. Now, his actual political journey begins from here. Ratnagiri was also the place where Savarkar was living and living quite nearby. But Godse had no work. He started getting attracted towards Gandhian movement, you know, the build-up for the civil disobedience movement, which was launched in 1930, had started. This is the famous Salt March. Salt March, exactly. And the Gotses started taking part in local meetings of Congress. He was clearly anti-British. And when Gandhi gave the call to boycott examination, school and colleges, he decided not to reappear for matriculation examination. But that was also the time when he started meeting Savarkar. Savarkar initially tries to persuade him to drop this idea of not appearing in matriculation examination. But he doesn't listen to Savarkar. Still, he continued meeting him, taking part in the closed-door meetings that Savarkar used to organize regularly. What was very important was his identity as a Brahmin. Savarkar also belonged to 
Chitpavan Brahmin. Godse also belong to the same caste. Chitpavans are one of the three sub-categories of Brahmins of Maharashtra. Peshwas were essentially Chitpavan Brahmins. So this identity was something that started taking Godse closer and closer to Savarkar. And also the Chippewan Brahmins were noted for their military prowess as well, which presumably feeds into his being someone who needs to be tough and strong and, and to be involved in building a paramilitary movement. Precisely. Because he had certain fantasies about hypermasculinity also. So eventually he got convinced by Savarkar's arguments that all this non-violence, through this you cannot win independence. You need to have a more violent kind of thing. That is the kind of discourse that Savarkar always give in the closed-door meetings, not outside. Outside, he would remain always alert to give proper messages to the British rulers. You know, there he would never talk about independence or freedom movement. But inside, he kept that allure of being revolutionary. So all this helped perhaps to hypnotize Godse. And Godse thereafter started drifting towards Savarkar. Once that transformation happened, he never looked back because this entire politics of Hindutva was essentially to weaken the nationalist movement. So he starts acquiring this hatred gradually against Gandhi and his emphasis on Hindu-Muslim unity. And as well as being opposed to Gandhi's position on Hindu-Muslim unity, Godse and the people around him, they were also not very happy with Gandhi's perspective on, on women and women's involvement in the liberation struggle. So they were not quite happy with the way Gandhi was interpreting Hinduism. What Gandhi was doing was, he was completely subverting the orthodox Hinduism. He was trying to bring the lower caste values and cultures to the center of Hinduism, which was threatening for orthodox Hindus, especially Brahmins and upper castes. He was trying to liberate women, which again was not liked by these people because their entire concept of Hindu nation was based on subjugation of women. If you look at civil disobedience movement, you will find that just as Hindu-Muslim unity was the foundation of non-cooperation movement, liberation of women became an important aspect of civil disobedience movement of 1930. While doing all this, Gandhi was not saying that he was a social reformer. He was constantly saying that he was actually a Sanatani Hindu, a real Hindu, which was something that threatened the entire understanding of these orthodox Hindus who had come together to form RSS and Hindu Mahasabha. So you describe Bhatte as a rather underconfident person, somebody who experienced a lot of anxiety and obviously had these sort of complexes about his own masculinity and so on. But you describe through the late 1930s and the early 1940s how he increasingly throws himself into the Hindu nationalist movement. And eventually in 1944, he founds a newspaper with Nairan Apte, one of the people who was also put on trial after Gandhi's death and was involved in the planning of Gandhi's murder. Can you talk a bit about this period of Godse's life and the extent to which he gains in, uh, maybe not confidence, but he gains in, in a sense of self-importance and this belief that he is a person with a real mission? Yeah, so this opportunity for Godse to grow in the Hindu nationalistic circle comes in the background of 
restrictions which were imposed by the British government in 1940 on parade ground activities of private armies of all kind. All these young boys who were getting attracted towards RSS mainly because of its parade ground activities, these boys didn't have any work to do. And it was in this backdrop that we see that Hindu Rast Dal is created. So Hindu Rastri Dal was formed in 1942 and its members were primarily members of RSS because they were not being able to do anything due to the restrictions imposed by British government on parade ground activities or private armies. So this became a new kind of uh, avenue for these boys. And this is because the Hindu Rastra Dal, this is a secret, this is a clandestine uh, organization, yeah, right? it was. And both Hindu Mahasabha and RSS come together to form this. Although later, RSS said that it had nothing to do with this organization. And the fact is, the contemporary records show that it was a kind of joint venture. Because in the camps of Hindu Rast Dal, we find teachers from both the organizations, the ideological teachers from Hindu Mahasabha as well as RSS coming and attending the camp, addressing them. The president of Hindu Rastal was Kasinath Pant Lemay, who was also the chief of RSS in Maharashtra. Kasinath Bhaskar Lemay was head of Marathi-speaking belt of Bombay presidency. We find that Kasinath Bhaskar Lemay is regularly present there. Kasinath Bhaskar Lima, by the way, was also the man who brought Godse to RSS and acted as his guide thereafter. He operated from Sangli, which is a town in the south of uh, Pune, where Godse joined RSS. Later, Godse shifted to Pune, and this shift was also facilitated by Lima. And thereafter, Pune becomes the nerve center of Godse's activities. So here, this is the first stays where this man, Godse, starts feeling that his political activities had expanded. Two years later, a newspaper was formed. The idea came from the other man who was hanged, Apte. So the idea came from Apte, but it was being coordinated again by Lemay because we see that in 1944, three newspapers came together. One, Agrani, which was started by Godse and Apte in Pune, Another, Vikram, which was started by Limay from Sangli. And the third one from Nagpur, it was called Tarun Bharat. So it was kind of coordination. And these newspapers was also a kind of source of involving the members of RSS in distribution, in campaigning, all these things. So Gorse becomes a journalist and he starts talking about big issues, he starts reflecting on big issues. So his stature starts growing. So from a Hindutva hothead, he grows into somebody who becomes important. People start listening to him. A kind of a sense of importance comes in him. That is how it grows. And on Agrani, the newspaper that Godse was editor of and, and Abte taking the role of general, general manager, which publishes its first issue in March 1944, uh, we can perhaps get some idea of, of the nature of that content by referring to the headlines that you recount in the book. Uh, for instance, there's one article titled uh, Gandhi Commits Suicide. 
How typical was that kind of thing? And what was the nature of the paper's take on on Gandhi and, and the Gandhian movement more broadly? Yeah, so this paper, right from beginning, launched a kind of communal campaign against Muslims, against this idea of Hindu-Muslim unity and against Gandhi in particular. All through 40s, we find that Agrini is coming out with opinion pieces which were trying to create communal problem. So the government imposed penalty on Agrini. The first time they managed to pay the penalty, but the second time they changed the name of uh, the paper. They converted it into a completely new newspaper and uh, renamed it Hindu Rashtra rather than Agrani. And this happened just before independence. So its content was obviously very communal in nature. But despite all the penalties, it continues with its communal content. And Godse, of course, was the main writer in this. As India approached independence, the most contentious issue in the negotiations to end British rule in the country uh, were over the, the question of partition and the creation of Pakistan, which of course led to the communal violence and the refugee crisis of 1947. Godse at that time seems to become even fiercer in his criticism of Gandhi and, and, and his hostility very much increases. Can you explain the position of Gandhi and, and the Congress party on partition and how the question of Pakistan's creation allows the Hindu nationalists to take a very definite position in a question of, of huge national importance and allows the Hindu nationalist movement to sort of break out into the open in the Indian political scene at that time. Yeah, so by the time partition happens and this refugee problem begins, it was already clear that Godse was part of that group that wanted India to become a Hindu Rashtra, a Hindu nation, that is a theocratic nation in which Hindus would have primacy. And the nationalists, including Nehru, Gandhi, they wanted to convert India into a secular democracy. It had become clear by then. So when this entire refugee crisis begins, Godse, as well as other members and leaders of Hindutva movement, Hindu nationalist movement, they clearly saw an opportunity in this and they started not just writing against the government, but also they started taking part in, in the activities, in the communal activities in several parts of the country. Gandhi, by now, had become a champion of communal harmony and peace. He was seen as, as the moral force in the country. And through his activities, through his movements, he had by now succeeded in thoroughly countering this virulent idea that was fueling the communal hatred in the country. And he had marginalized the forces of Hindu state. That is why Gandhi, during these months after partition, became a big hurdle for the forces of Hindu Rashtra. He had to be removed. Since the ideologues, the leaders, whether Golwalkar, who was the, who was the chief of RSS at the time, or Savarkar, who was the supreme ideologue, were not showing a proper way out how to convert India into a Hindu Rashtra democratically. All the Carter knew that they would succeed only if they could remove the hurdle 
So that was the kind of situation which had emerged. Gandhi had become a huge figure, a figure who, who had marginalized these forces, who had almost established and secured the secular democratic future for India. And these forces, they were still getting desperate to see India becoming a Hindu rust. So their ranting, their activities against Gandhi, all these increased. Before Godse became involved in the conspiracy to murder Gandhi, he'd previously been involved in a plot to murder Muhammad al-Jinnah, leader of the Muslim League and eventually the founder of Pakistan. Can you talk a little bit about the plans to kill Jinnah and, and why it was eventually abandoned by Godse and his co-conspirators? So that idea was essentially the idea of Apte. It was Apte who planned all those things, but then it was never a plan. You know, the, we see that before they set out to kill Gandhi, they are trying to acquire money from those people who were against partition, who hated Muslims, but they had money. So they would always go with new plan, either to kill Jinnah, sometimes to explode Pakistan assembly. And these were the kind of means through which they will uh, impress moneyed Hindu upper caste people who were ready to fund these activities. But since Godse was part of that group, pretty close to Apte, he was always excited to know about this kind of plan, but they never attempted any such thing. They never attempted it. It just remained in the form of plan. That's it. And so if we come on to the actual murder of, of Gandhi, so although today the name of Godse is, is, is very well known, in the early stages of the planning, and, and in fact until uh, pretty late on, it wasn't at all clear that it was going to be Godse who was going to actually carry out the act. And you know, it should be emphasized that this was very much an act planned by a number of individuals, including Godse, Apte, and, and others. So how was it that Godse eventually came to be the person who took on the role of actually firing the, the, the fatal shots that killed Gandhi? Yeah, so this is a really important question. In the beginning, towards the end of December, we see that Godse Apte had started discussing about killing Gandhi. None of them was ready to kill Gandhi. None of them was ready to do this because all of them wanted to save themselves. So they wanted somebody to do this work for them. On 2nd January 1948, Godse and Apte go to Ahmednagar, another town close to Pune, where they have a meeting with Karkare. Karkare suggests the name of Madalal Pahawa, who was a refugee, very young fellow, and who had just come from Pakistan, migrated from Pakistan. And he was staying with Karkare. Karkare was looking after all his expenses. Many refugees who were coming from Pakistan had this feeling of anger against Gandhi. And Karkare suggested that these people could exploit that anger of Pahwa and make him kill Gandhi. But these people never told Pahwa about the plan. Pahwa remained in dark till 19th January, 48. The next day had been chosen to kill Gandhi. Uh, it was decided that Pahwa would kill Gandhi on 28th January. In the night of 19th, Karkare goes to Pahwa, asks him whether he would kill Gandhi. He refuses. Uh, Godse gives up, but Apte did not. And this entire second plan was conceived within those hours and 
on 28th they go for action but nothing actually happened madan lal pahwa was given a very minor role in that new plot he does his work got arrested other people fled the scene now from here apte and pahwa all of them fled in different directions apte and godse went to kanpur which is a town in uttar pradesh they went to kanpur they stay at platform at railway station for the entire day then they catch another train and go back to bombay now when they come back they check in a guest house and then they leave the place go out remain outside till late hours in the night then they come back again they remain awake till morning now this was the time when this entire shift happened the decision that godse would now kill gandhi was was conceived actually during these hours there are theories although what godse told to the court was something completely different but what the archival records suggest is that godse thought that because refuses were very upset with gandhi he thought that perhaps he would become a hero of those people who hated gandhi and there were thousands thousands of people whole lot of a major chunk of refugees were against gandhi so he thought he would become hero and once that happens then that would save him you know once he becomes hero it would become difficult for the government to punish him so this transformation is essentially rooted in that but it is not very clear yeah because in court godsis gave a completely different narrative a lie which which he could not establish in the court so the truth could not come out another reason why it could not come out was that the conspiracy angle of gandhi murder was not properly investigated and the motivation the people who were involved in this organizations who were involved in this those people who funded the entire project you know all these things remained a secret and what godse said in the court despite the fact that he could not establish it and court rejected all his claims that he made in the court still that statement of godse continued to be treated as a reliable source of history which is very unfortunate part of scholarship our effort to understand godse should have involved a proper investigation into the conspiracy angle of murder in the chapter on the trial you describe the way in which godse very much seeks to emphasize his own centrality to the plot and to deflect blame from others and in particular the rss which godse claims to have left before the murder of gandhi and the, and the planning to carry out the the attack and this has subsequently of course been used by the rss and the defenders of the rss to claim that godse had little to do with the organization sure he'd been a member once but he wasn't when he killed gandhi and therefore the rss can't be blamed how credible is godse's claim not to have any longer been a member of the rss when he killed gandhi yes so in his court statement godse claims too many things so many lies were given out it is important to understand how the court statement was born the court statement was prepared with the help of jamna das mehta who was a prominent member of 
the group of lawyers who were defending the accused. Jamna Das Mehta was a very close aide of Savarkar. The entire case of prosecution, as well as the statement of Badge, who was part of this group of assassins, who came out and agreed to become approver. So all these things indicated that there was a conspiracy to kill Gandhi. So there was a pressure on Godse to exonerate everybody as well as every organization he had been associated with. Which becomes clear if you go through the statement that he made in the court. He says in the court that he alone decided to kill Gandhi. That he never shared this idea with anybody else. That he joined the RSS after some time, he left the RSS and joined Hindu Mahasabha. After some time, he left Hindu Mahasabha and formed Hindu Ras Dal. And then he says that he even left Hindu Ras Dal. So the idea was to exonerate everybody, every individual, every organization he had been associated with. As I told you that he could not establish any of his claims in the court. And court's judgment actually was such that obviously other people were also punished a conspiracy was established. But this statement became the basis for a series of myths that pro-RSS writers made after Gorse was hanged. The most prominent myth that was met after Gorse was hanged was that he had left RSS long before he killed Gandhi. And Gorse's own brother, younger brother, Gopal Gorse, who was also accused and got life sentence when he came out of jail, he wrote a book in which he clearly mentioned that Gorse never left RSS. He kept on giving interviews after coming out of jail, saying that Gorse never left RSS. He said this because all these people were scared. RSS leaders, Hindu Mahasabha leaders, all of them were scared. That is why he said this. But nobody was ready to take him seriously. Everybody just quoted uh, Godse's quote statement. That was the reason why I wrote this book. When I came across archival documents of pre-assassination period, particularly documents which were seized from the RSS headquarters in Nagpur after the assassination of Gandhi, as well as the interrogation statement of all the accused, including Godse. I realized that these documents were in total conformity with the judgment and they were completely against what Godse was claiming in the court. That was the reason I decided to write the book. But then this myth-making continued. I mean, that was just, you know, the first myth was that Godse had left RSS long before he killed Gandhi. Then to make that myth look more credible, another myth was created. And that myth was created within months after Godse was hanged, when D.V. Kelkar wrote an article saying that RSS and Hindu Mahasabha were at loggerheads. Again, archival records tell us that that was a lie, that they were not at loggerheads. They were actually working together and they even had so many dual membership. Uh, I, I, can, I can name you several people. In fact, in 1947, when Bombay police was asked to prepare 
lists of RSS men and Hindu Mahasabha men, they clearly said that there were a lot of overlaps, that many members of RSS were also members of Hindu Mahasabha. And in many cases, Hindu Mahasabha leaders were facilitators for RSS. If we come up to the current moment, so for a very long time, Godse was, of course, a real sort of a hate figure and very much an embarrassment to the Hindu nationalist movement and in particular to the RSS, which, you know, as, as you describe, has very much sought to distance itself from Godse. But more recently, there have been some efforts by some Hindu nationalists to actually rehabilitate the reputation of, of Godse and, you know, to argue that he had, in fact, you know, done India a service by, by murdering Gandhi. How is Godse seen today in India? Are the attempts to portray Godse in a more favorable light very, uh, very marginal? Or is there a degree of increasing mainstream support for that position? Yes, so Godse always had a a kind of pre-existing constituency. RSS men, immediately after the ban was lifted in 1949, they remained quite constrained and they would never take the name of Godse in public. But... After Modi became prime minister, after BJP got absolute majority in parliament, a kind of a cult of Godse has started emerging in India. There are temples being built in the name of Godse. BJP MPs have started from time to time declaring that he was a patriot. And on 2nd October, which is the birth date of Gandhi, and 30th January, the day when he was assassinated. On these days, generally on social media, we see a lot of activities. Godse, Godse Chindabad, that is, Hail Godse kind of thing become very viral on these days. Generally, the Hindutva men, they look at his act not as a crime. They often consider it as something which was done to remove hurdle in their way of setting up Hindu Rastri in India. That is why they would never call the murder Hatya. Hatya is a Hindi word, which means murder. They would use the term Vad. Vad is another Hindi word, which means slaying of evil forces. You know, so they would use the term Vad for the assassination of Gandhi. So this cult of Godse, which is emerging in India, is also getting reflected in the manner in which Gandhi has come under attack. Yes, you described destruction of statues and, and Gandhian cultural centers, and, and not just in India, right, but also abroad. So Gandhi is anathema to them. And his entire vision of secular India has come under direct attack. There are efforts to steer the national discourse to treat Muslims as the other, they are branded as anti-nationals. They are being violently attacked quite frequently. These Hindutva men, the government, the BJP government, it is trying to create a climate of impunity for them. At the same time, we see that the government is pushing Hindu authoritarian agenda, reflected as it is in a Citizenship Amendment Act, for example, which fast-tracks citizenship to non-Muslims from some of the neighboring countries like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh. So all these developments are basically, they are rooted in the same resentment against Muslims and nostalgia for Hindurast that inspired Godse to kill Gandhi. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other. 
If you've been enjoying the show, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.